and substantiates that we are in fact the children of God, the heirs of Christ and co-heirs with God. Amen? And we also saw we can be assured that we are the children of God because he illuminates the truth of the word of God to our hearts. Now, you have to understand, people can open this book. They do it in the high school, they do it in colleges, and, and read the Bible as literature. And they won't see the deep truths of God's word because the Holy Spirit with them does not illuminate it to them because they're not filled with the Spirit. But we as the children of God, can read into the scriptures and see the deep truths that are in there and look to apply them to our lives, right? And then um, we as born-again believers are now in dwelt, and the one who searches the deep things of God is going to illuminate those truths to our heart. And we can also know, and when it says know, it's that word yada, that we can know him on an intimate level. As we get into the word, we can actually get to know him deeper and more intimately as we meditate and study the word, amen? And as we studied last week, we also saw our second way in which the Holy Spirit assures us of being God's children. And that is in the fact that when we put our faith in Christ, we will see our lives change. We will start to live the sanctified life because we're being molded into the image of his son. And it's not just an ascent to live a good moral life. No, now we live our life unto Christ. And as the Father molds us, we're going to and show those fruits of the Spirit in our lives. Amen? It's an innate change. Innate meaning inside. We get a new heart and a new mind that's being led by the Spirit of God. And we also saw last week that, listen, we no longer have to be slaves to fear. We don't have to fear what the unregenerate fear. We don't have to fear death because we know that we know that when we close our eyes on this side of eternity, we open it up in His presence. And you know what? We also don't have to fear the second death. We will never be judged or condemned or thrown into the lake of fire. So church, you're never going to have to fear the judgment wrath of God. And that is quite a blessing. Amen? And that's an understatement. And lastly, listen, not only do we not have to fear death, we don't have to fear life. Doesn't it say he'll never leave us nor forsake us? Right? He's with us constantly. And you know what? He can never leave us. You know why? He indwells us. How does that happen? So we're being indwelt by God himself. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He will guide us through every test, trial, and everything through life if we listen and allow him to. Amen? And we know that he's the sovereign God. And it says in his word, he's working all things together for good. But we have to believe that. Yes? And this is actually a good segue into today's message. And we're going to pick up uh, in the second part of verse 17, to, and see that because we are the children of God, in a world that's influenced by our adversary, the devil, the world system, and still the residual effects of our sin nature that we wrestle with, and even though we are filled with the Holy Spirit, life can be strenuous, burdensome, and challenging. Oh, me? Am I the only one? All right. But again, as we look at the big picture, James tells us that this is a vapor. This is a mist. Here today and gone tomorrow. I hate to sound kind of yucky, but it's true. Because, and we don't have to fear that because where are we going to be? We're going to be in God's kingdom. But as we journey through this world, as we're on sojourn, if you will, as pilgrims, we're going to face tests, trials, and temptations. Yes? So um, we want to do three things, though. We have to realize what we have in Christ now. Realize what we hold in Jesus now. We are saved. We are born of his spirit. 
okay? He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can take all those promises now and walk through this thing we call life. And then we also have to understand that he wants to use us for his glory and honor. Each one of us has gifts, talents, and abilities, yes? And he wants us to use them as part of his creation. He, he developed, when he created Adam, he wanted Adam to co-rule with him. So in the same way he wants us to co-rule with him with the gifts and talents we have here on earth to bring him glory and honor. So we have to trust in what we have Christ now, see his purpose for us, and then we can just hope, which is an assured expectation of our inheritance that is to come. Amen? It's going to come. It will come. His word says it, and it's true. Now, with that said, let's open up to Romans 8, 17 to 27, and we'll, we'll read through that, and then we're going to break it down a little bit, okay? All right. Romans 8, 17 to 27. It says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We looked at that last week. And here's the part we're going to start getting into. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present suffering cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, and we're going to look at this word, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But that, um, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes in what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit himself helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what, to, what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through world, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the... right will of God, all right? And I want to start by looking at verse 17b and 18 again. It says, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may be sharing his glory. And it says, I consider that our present sufferings cannot compare with what's going to be revealed in us. So here we see some things like, all right, there's going to be some suffering, then we're going to kind of, it can't compare to what we're going to face, right? But even though we're born again believers, and the children of God, and we're still on this side of eternity, to one degree or another, we're going to face a certain amount of suffering. Yes? And we all are probably saying, oh me, because we have. We've experienced what? Emotional loss. Has anybody ever lost a loved one? A parent? Whatever. So you, we've experienced emotional loss for our teenagers and young adults, a breakup. Oh, my heart is broken, right? So emotional pain that we've, we've gone through. How about, you know, our bodies? physical pain from, through illness or disease or injury, so we've experienced suffering, yes, and different ways we've, um, as we go through this world, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be pain, there's going to be heartache, yes? All right, now, I want you to see, though, 
This is not the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about here. That which is common to all people, if you will, emotionally, physically. What he's talking about here is suffering for who we are in Christ. Do you hear me? He's saying we will suffer. We will go through, may go through persecution if we identify with Christ. If we say we're Christians, if we live the Christian life, if we proclaim the Christian values, there's going to be a degree of suffering that we are going to face. All right, he's, he's saying that if we identify with Christ as his disciples, as the children of God, we will experience suffering based on the condition that we do identify with Jesus. Amen? If we live for him, if we proclaim the gospel of salvation, we, will, we may feel or get some severe suffering or persecution. What Paul is pointing to here is suffering on a level of persecution for Christ's namesake and our identification with him. Listen, we are in a war. We are in a spiritual war every day. And there are two camps, and I've said this to you. There are those who have faith in Christ and are in his camp, and there are those who do not and are in the evil one's camp. And they are in direct conflict with each other. You can't have light and darkness together, yes? The world system and those who grasp hold of its philosophies, its religions, its ideologies and passions are under the influence of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Read the word. And because we as Christians challenge the very foundations upon which they build their lives, we will find ourselves harassed and or persecuted to one degree or another, and to the extreme, we may be martyred for our faith. Do you hear me? And Liz could probably testify to what's going on in the Middle East. Same with you, Mike, who do a lot of reading about it. Listen to uh, John 15, 18 to 28. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, this is Jesus, and boy did they persecute him, not only did they persecute him, they crucified him. They will persecute you also. All right, the door's open, who's leaving? All right, good, I'm glad you're still here. We'll get to that. And Matthew 5, 10 to 12 says this, blessed are those, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, or falsely say all evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you proclaim to be a Christian, remember, they hated him first. So if you are suffer or are persecuted for the name of Christ, remember, he walked the walk first. And it says, you're blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And church, listen, many of our brothers and sisters around the world are being severely persecuted. Go to the countries like Iran. If you are baptized and claim to be a Christian, you will be killed. The dictatorial guy, Kim Jong-un in Korea, it's the largest number one country for Christian persecution. Then all you have to do is go into the certain website and see what Boko Haram and ISIS and Taliban do to Christians. Rape, murder, butcher, sell for a sex trade, etc. That's what's happening to our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Fortunately, we in the United States have not experienced this type of persecution yet. Do you hear me? Yet we do 
suffer persecution in, in different ways, suffering in different ways. Let me read 1 Peter to you. And there's the, uh, a verse at the end I really want you to listen to. This is 1 Peter 1, 1 to 4. Listen. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires. So if we're truly born again, we're not going to live the way the world lives. Amen? But rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join with them in their reckless behaviors, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. So what it's saying that if you live for Christ, even the, like the guys when I'm going to, uh, I think I told you this, when my brother was getting married, I had just gotten saved and there was a bachelor party. And I said, I'm not going. I can't do those things anymore. And my mom got really mad at me. And my brother got mad at me. But I could not do that anymore. I wanted to follow Christ and I couldn't get involved in that revelry. But they heaped abuse on me. And my good friend, growing up, Mike, I mean, we did, he, I was nine, he was seven, right? He moved into the neighborhood. We did everything together. We played ball, everything, grew up. We were mischievous. Then we got even worse as we got older. But now, there's no relationship. No relationship. And when we get together, if there is a, uh, one of our guys, you know, when his daughter got married, they're always teasing me. <laughs> hey, preacher boy, hey, hey. And they tease you. But in a slight way, it's a ridicule, it's a mock, but it's still a, a small form of persecution, if you will. So because we represent Christ, we're going to see some of the old friendships wane away. Do they hurt? Yes. All right? And we may be persecuted or suffer for our faith in Christ. Family, the mores of our country have deteriorated. They have. There's attack on the covenant of marriage, where we see the divorce rate going through the roof. Now it's becoming commonplace for same-sex marriages. What they're doing to our children is an abomination, where they're taking gender out of the books that the kids are reading in school. When your kid is born, you don't call him he or she. They get to choose. Like, okay, it's, it's bizarre what's going on. And then look at our country, a country that claimed to be a Christian nation. We have slaughtered over 50-plus million unborn children, but we claim to be a Christian country. And these are the extremes. But just look at some... Uh, Look at some of the other things. They're taking the Ten Commandments out of schools and public buildings. You can't pray in school anymore. Listen, you can go into a health class and mention any perverse thing you want. If you mention Jesus, you'll be in the, in the principal's office, if not in the superintendent's office. They, I guess they, they figured it out. I was one of three not, uh, choices to speak at the National Honor Society, and you know what was going through my mind. They need Jesus. So I think they figured it out, and they let one of the liberal teachers speak that night. All right, because I was going in there, guns blazing with the gospel. You kids want to be successful tonight? Need Jesus. They would have thrown me right off the stage. Praise the Lord. All right? Listen, but when we as Christians take our stand, when we share our values, hopefully calm and in love when we share, okay, I'm going to say that, please, when we speak to those who have differences of opinion, I actually said this in my social studies class, they can have a difference in opinion, and we can talk to them. We don't want to get hostile. We don't want to start screaming. We don't want to get our backs up because that's not a way to witness the love of Christ and the, and the truths of the scripture, right? But we can be mocked, ridiculed, judged as narrow-minded, extremist, fools for believing such an archaic thing as creationism, seen as self-righteous when we proclaim biblical principles and especially when we say that the only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. The only way to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. You want to see people get their back up? I have a really good friend, Rachel, at work. 
She's Jewish, but when we get to that point, man, she gets hostile. And I say, no, Ray, it's only through Christ. I said, read the scriptures. But, you know, so we're going to be ridiculed. We could be mocked. We could be alienated, excommunicated by friends. And it's a form of persecution that we see in our nation. See, in our nation, persecution and suffering may not be as extreme in the physical sense, but it's definitely progressing in the sociological sense. Is it not, Brother Wes? Right? I remember what, what, what James went to, Adelphi or, or Hofstra? Adelphi. And one of his professors said, the problem with society today is the white Christian male. Go ahead and go into a school and say, the problem with today is the gay, beep, beep, boo, boo, and you know what? They would throw you right out for hate speech and everything else, and, you, and you'd lose your job. But those are the kinds of things that are being spewed in the liberal colleges, that the Christian is the basis for our problems of society. I wonder how long it would be because we could lose our jobs or get thrown in jail for saying the things, the biblical principles in God's word. Are you ready? Pastor in Canada spoke about the biblical definition of marriage. He was thrown in jail. Thank God in Texas the law was shot down, but they wanted to sequester the pastor's notes and sermon notes to see if they were socially acceptable, but it didn't make it through. That's, that's where we're going, all right? Now, I, I hate to be a downer today, but we're getting to the good stuff. Now, listen, this is what Paul says in 2 Timothy 6-12, to just to confirm what we're saying here. He says this, For this reason, this is Paul, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave, Spirit God gave us does not make us timid. It doesn't make us timid. We're not timid. But gives us power, love, and self-discipline. We don't get angry. We don't fly off the handle. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel, which is the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. Ready? That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he will be able to guard it, what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul was on his way up, a Pharisee who was taught under Gamaliel, one of the greatest uh, teachers in his time. And he puts it all behind him when he comes to know Christ. Suffered, shipwrecked, persecuted, beaten with rods, stoned, Endangering the country, endangering the city, went through it all. Why? Because he wasn't ashamed for the gospel of Christ. He gave everything up and went through all he did because he understood the reality. Family, Paul truly, Paul truly believed the gospel message. He truly believed in who Jesus was and is. And he understood the importance of sharing this gospel message with those around him. He knew that every person's eternal soul rested on the words that came out of his mouth. Yes, he could have talked about the weather. He could have talked about how fine the wine was in Corinth. But no, he spoke about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even while he's chained to Roman guards, what does he do? Shares the gospel of salvation with Roman soldiers because he knew that he knew that their eternal souls rested on it. 
He would endure anything that was thrown at him until the day the sword cut off his head because he was going to proclaim the truth of the gospel. He was not ashamed of it. He knew it was for the power of salvation. And that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. And besides that, as he says that the Lord would save it for that day, he kept his eyes on the prize. He knew that the day he closed his eyes on this side of eternity, he was going to receive a crown of righteousness before his Father, before his Savior. Amen? Family, whatever we go through, now or by identifying with Christ, ready? And by being his witnesses, any degree of suffering. Listen, first of all, it reinforces that we belong to him. We saw that in the beginning of the chapter. And what I, what I have down here, remember the parable of the sower, right? Some seed was sown on the path, others on rocky places, right? And then some amongst the weeds and some in good soil. Well, how about the second one, the one on rocky places? It had no root. And when persecution came, they threw in a towel. Or the ones that were amongst the weeds, they got too entrenched in the world and it choked off. But then there was the good seed, the seed that let its roots go down firm into Jesus Christ, into the word of God, and they grew strong. And just like us, it kind of confirms when we are persecuted or suffer for our faith, it shows that we truly are the children of God because we're not going to throw in the towel. We're not going to let the weeds choke us off, right? We're going to stand firm and say in gentleness, in the love of Christ, that you need this gospel. And we're not going to throw the towel in and give it all up because of the persecutions of the world. I pray, I pray. Again, we haven't seen what our brothers and sisters have seen around the world. And then second, it can't compare. What we go through now can't of what we have to look forward to in the future. Our present sufferings cannot com be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. These broken down old bodies that we go through, if we could see our glorious bodies, my pastor would say we'd bow down and worship it because it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Amen? And then, praise the Lord, we will get our resurrected bodies. There'll come a time in God's presence. Nothing compared to what we go through now. So I have down here, we fight the good fight. We finish the race. We live for him and proclaim the gospel. And why? For men's souls depend on it. Do you hear me? Men's souls depend on our witness. And to whatever degree or suffering or persecution, right, it doesn't matter if one soul comes to salvation. And then can you imagine when you're in glory and that person comes up and says, hey, thanks for going through that. I'm in God's presence now. I would have been in hell. Rejoice, right? Take that and listen. Let's remember what we have to look forward to. It's but a vapor. I love what Mike, Mike teaches on Wednesday night. He said, I'm 76 now. He goes, I don't know where the time went. And it's true. I'm 60. I don't know where the time went. I can remember 12 years old like it was yesterday. High school like it was yesterday. But then there's eternity. And we, we're going to be in God's presence forever. Amen? Listen to, um, so I have down here, do not be ashamed to preach the gospel. Do not be ashamed to live for Christ. Don't be ashamed to let people know you're a Christian. Amen? Amen? Let them know. But please live it so they don't mock our Savior. Amen? And we're all a work in progress. We are all a work in progress, but we want to live it so when we proclaim it, people will listen. Bless you. All right? Listen to what Luke's, Luke 9.26 says. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. And in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, it says, Whoever acknowledged me before others, listen to this, I will also acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown them before my Father who is in heaven. 
So wouldn't it be nice when uh, Jesus throws his arm around and he says, Dad, he's one of ours. Dad, he's one of ours. Instead of those who are disowning him, and it's like, I never knew you. Yes, you did a lot of nice religious things. Oh, yeah, you were a good person compared to the other folks around you, but I never knew you. That's going to be a scary thing. Scary thing. Let me ask you in all seriousness, whatever we go through for his namesake in this life that's just a vapor, do you think it can compare to the moment when you stand, in the, I want you to really think about it, in the Savior's presence, and he embraces you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. I'm not going to remember the aches and pains I had in this body. I'm not going to remember some of the heartaches I went through or anything that happened on this side of eternity. I'm going to be in the perfect embrace of perfect love, and he's going to say, welcome home. Praise God. Think about that. Meditate on that. In church, no matter what we go through, he always gives us the grace. His grace is always available. No matter what comes our way, whatever test, whatever trial, whatever temptation, he gives us the grace. If we seek it, right? So he gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. So if we humbly go before him and say, Father, I'm in the midst of this trial. I need your grace. I'm going to guarantee you that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you will be able to endure if you surrender to God through it. Any temptation comes your way. And I'm sure there are people that can testify that a temptation comes your way. You can either give in to that, or if you rely and say, Holy Spirit, help me to overcome this temptation, you'll see that you will overcome. When we surrender to God, we'll get through it. He looks into our heart. So we put on the full armor. They were talking about this yesterday. You put on the full armor. You get up in the morning. You're in a word. You're in prayer. And you're saying, Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. I'm going out to do battle today for you. For you. I want to be a witness for you and how I live, how I do my job, what I do, who I, how I speak, etc. Go out in the full armor and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 18. It says this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not what, on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our hearts and minds on the eternal kingdom of God, and no matter what comes our way, through the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, we can endure. Amen. We can endure. And I'm sure there's plenty of testimonies in this building that could say, what I went through, it was with me. What I went through, it was with me. What I came out of, the Lord was with me. Amen? Amen. And now as we wait for that glorious day, listen to this. This is where we make a little turning point. To come, we'll now see that all who long for this groan, awaiting the time when these promises of God will be fulfilled. As Paul gets into this portion now, it's saying how Christians groan, creation groans, even the Holy Spirit groans for this to finally come and be fulfilled. So look at verses 19 to 22, and states this, creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Let me, that word groan, groaning, listen to what it means. In the Greek it means this, refers to the utterances of a person who's caught in a dreadful situation and has no immediate prospect of deliverance. So the Holy Spirit is groaning 
waiting for that time when God's plan will be fulfilled, if you will. And we're going to talk about that. Family, we are not the only ones looking for eternal bliss that is to come. All creation is waiting for things to be renewed. Do you hear me? Listen, when Adam and Eve fell, they weren't the only ones affected by sin. The whole creation was affected by sin. Listen to what it says in Genesis 3, 17 to 19. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree. Now, guys, don't run with that. All right? Behave. I command you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, dust you are, and dust you will return. Guys, when God created us, Adam and Eve, they were supposed to co-rule with him. It wasn't supposed to be what we consider work and toil like it is today. It was a pleasant to go out and do these things for the Lord, to be in the fields, to name the animals, to do whatever God had them doing. It was pleasant. And when we look at Genesis 3, I could see them coming back to God and God saying, hey, guys, what would you do today? Well, I named this animal. I named that animal. Hey, I found some really cool fruit trees, did this, did this. Because God would meet with them in the cool of the day and spend time with them. So it wasn't supposed to be work like we know it today or toil. All right? And listen, this judgment was implemented by God. He subjected the creation to frustration. So this was a judge on the whole creation because of sin. And listen, painful toil was in a corrupted environment. And what does this mean? Anybody watch the news? Anybody read history books? Earthquakes, tsunamis, mudslides, floods, Mount Vesuvius, Pompeii, all throughout the history of the world, we see all these natural disasters that have taken many, many lives. And then if we really look at this on a more simpler basis, how many people plant tomatoes and have a garden in here? Oh, we will. Oh, come on. Only the Italian guy? Come on. But if you go, if you don't tend to that garden and you don't do anything to take care of it, Jen, what happens? Weeds, overgrown. It, you can go and see the effects of the curse on your garden. The weeds weren't there prior to the fall. The tomatoes were nice big beef steaks. They were gorgeous. But no. But we can see the effects of the fall all around us. Sometimes when we walk the dog, I'm, I say to Teresa, it amazes me. Nothing's growing but the weeds. But that's the that's an, uh, result of the curse. So we can see it at the extreme, our creation under the bondage and corruption, and we can see it even the simple daily lives as we go through and plant the garden. But the world has become corrupted. All right? I got off on a tangent. I apologize. And church, look, this was not what God intended for our creation. It was supposed to be a perfect environment that man was to live in, with a canopy over it, a water canopy, mist that came up to the ground, the water, everything. There wasn't supposed to be this horrible weather that we see. All right, so, but after the fall, the creative order was subject to um, frustration. And listen, I like using the, uh, the reading in King James because it says this, it was subject to futility. And what that means is that the creation today isn't doing what it was intended for. It's, it's not fulfilling its original purpose because it's been tainted by sin and the corruption that when it became subject to sin. So even the world today, even as magnificent and beautiful as it is, it's not reaching the potential God has created it for because it's been corrupted by frustration because of sin. But listen, there's going to come a time when God is going to renew it all. So even creation is groaning, 
waiting for that day. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 65, 17. I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So this, we're going to be in a new heavens, a new earth, and we're never going to even think about this because this can't even compare to what we have to look forward to. I love what Mike says on Wednesday night. The reds and greens and colors we see today aren't even going to compare to the reds and greens and the vividness of the colors we'll see in heaven. I can't imagine what kind of animals and trees and all the things we're going to be blessed in exploring while we're in God's kingdom. Now listen to Revelation 21, 1-5. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And Pastor would say, taught me that the sea is turmoil. There's no longer any turmoil. There's no longer any corruption. It's perfect. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. Ready? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And ready? He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Not restored, not refinished, new. Renewed, amen? And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We're not going to just have a restored earth. It's going to be brand spanking new heavens, new earth that we will be part of. No more corruption. Church, there's coming time when the creation and all that is in it will be liberated from the bondage of decay in which it's currently groaning. All righty, so there's going to come a time when all things are made new. And you know, it's not only creation that's groaning and waiting, but listen, what Paul says in 23 to 25 of Romans 8, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Family, what does Paul mean here by when he begins, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit? What he's saying is this. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we were born again. We were filled with the Spirit. This is only the first few fruits, all right? And listen, in Ephesians, it says this, in Ephesians um, 1.14, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's uh, possession to the praise of his glory. What we have now is just a down payment that the Holy Spirit lives in us. There's going to come a time when we get the whole shebang, the whole kit and caboodle. Amen? Listen, are we not looking for the redemption of our bodies? That's what it says here. It says that as adoption of sons, we eagerly await the adoption, uh, the new bodies we're going to get. Don't we, can't we wait? There's going to come a time, no more pain, no more suffering, right? No more worrying about poor Willie being in the hospital or clogged arteries. We're going to get new bodies. Is anybody else looking forward to that? Amen? All right, are we not looking for the, forward to the day when our hearts, minds, and members of body will no longer sin against God? I know I am. No longer to have a thought life that will take me off track or do things or say things that will take me off track. Are we not looking forward to a world where Satan no longer exist, and it will be no longer a corrupt world system. He won't be around him and his cohorts to try to lure you into sin and temptation. Gone. And not only that, you won't have a sin nature. Praise the Lord. 
And are we not looking forward to a world where there will be perfect harmony between all men and all creatures that we exist with? You won't have to worry about going through the woods in Pennsylvania packing. You don't have to worry about the bears and the coyotes anymore because they ain't going to attack you. You'll get along with them. I can't wait to play with some of the animals in heaven. Anybody who has a pet knows that. Love our pets, imagine. I'd just be petting me a grizzly today. It'd be good. And are we not looking forward to the day when we can stand in the presence of our Savior with no guilt and no shame and enjoy his love for eternity? That's what we're waiting for. That's what we hope for. And so we groan inwardly, faithfully waiting in hope for the day to come. And if you've been here at Neighborhood, you know that word hope doesn't mean I hope it don't rain tomorrow. It means an assured expectation of what is to come. So we hope for this because it's coming. So while we're here in these bodies, in this world, we're groaning, groaning, waiting, waiting, waiting for that time to come when all will be made new. And you know what? It could be tonight when that rapture happens and boom, we're out of here. You get your new body and la-di-da, right? All that the Lord has promised about his second coming is going to happen. It's going to happen. Did everything about his first coming happen? So we can be guaranteed and assured the second coming is going to happen. And when I say second coming, let me just clarify. The first part, it's going to be the rapture. Where the dead on Christ will rise. Then we who are still alive will go up with him. And then... At some point later, after the tribulation, he's going to come back and establish his millennial kingdom. He will come back as the king of kings and lord of lords. And the whole world will bow before him. And you know who's going to be with him? The church. Praise the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we wait patiently, using our gifts and talents for his glory and honor, fulfilling the call he has put on each one of our lives. Don't give up your rewards in heaven. Use what God's given you on this side of eternity to glorify him. Won't you love it when, I don't know what the rewards are, but man, they got to be great if God's going to give them to us. Amen? Just think what you do for your kids or your family. All righty? And uh, we want to fulfill what he's called us to do, and we tarry. We tarry while it's still day, and there's still light, and we share the gospel of salvation. Don't you want your friends, family, and coworkers to have that same hope? Billy Graham, I think, said that if you got one glimpse of hell, you'd be the greatest evangelist in the world. One glimpse of what people are going to suffer through. Church, listen, this is no longer our home. We're aliens and strangers here. And we're groaning for the inheritance that is to come. But I'm going to ask you a question now. What's your perspective? Are you groaning for what is to come? Or do you groan for the things of this world? It's a good barometer, if you will. Where is your mindset, your heart set, if you will? Is it for Christ and the things to come? or is it for the world and the things you have now? It is something we all need to kind of ask ourselves and see where we truly stand. Why? Because it may tell us if, in fact, we're truly saved. If we're desiring these things above Christ, you may want to get yourself alone with God and really ask where you stand, if you're saved or not. I'll never, no pastor should ever say, you are, you aren't, but let God look into your heart. And it also could be a good monitor of how mature you become in Christ. The more you draw closer to God, the more you'll be concerned about the things of his kingdom and less about the things of this world. It's a great way to use a barometer of how you're maturing in the Lord. When Christ becomes your all in all, then you know that you're starting to walk closer and closer to him. But if the things out there are drawing you every day, you've got to look at that and say, where's my priority, Jesus Christ or this world system?
All right, let's go on and finish up this morning by looking at verses 26 and 27. And it says this, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do know, not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless, wordless, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So Paul begins here in verse 26, in, and he says, in the same way. And we could be asking ourselves, in the same way as what? And the answer is this. In the same way that the believer groans, in the same way that the creation groans, the Holy Spirit is also groaning. He groans with us. He groans alongside us as we wait for the ultimate day when all things will be made new and God's eternal kingdom is ushered in. So he's groaning with us. He's groaning through us. He's groaning alongside us, if you will. Also waiting for the time when all things will be renewed. And as we wait and as we wrestle with the residual effects of our sin nature, as we battle our way through a world system that's in direct conflict with the principles of God, and as we wade through the temptations of the evil one and those under his influence, listen carefully, it is God the Holy Spirit who is in us, who comes alongside us in order to help us in our weaknesses, in our struggles, in the sufferings, persecutions, temptations. If we lean on the power of God, we can overcome and abide through those things. Do you hear me? So even the Spirit of God is in us, groaning alongside us to help us get through what we call life. Amen? Family, in and of ourselves, we are powerless to take on such a feat or such a foe. But when we purpose, again, to put on that full armor and surrender to the, to the Holy Spirit, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. We can overcome temptation. We can put up with the tests and trials. Amen? As we lean on the Lord and go to him in prayer, as we sojourn through this, through this test, trials, and temptation, not only does the Holy Spirit empower us, but he intervenes in our prayer life so that our prayers will align with the will of God. He's going to draw us into that. Listen carefully. We still harbor the residual effects of a sin nature. We have imperfect perspectives, do we not? We have finite minds, and we're limited spiritually. Therefore, we're not able to pray in a matter absolutely consistent with the will of God. We're not capable in our flesh. But... The Holy Spirit, who is God, knows the will of God, knows what's in our redeemed spirit, and takes our prayers, which are often flawed and misguided, and he straightens them out to bring them under the will of God. So he works with us, alongside us, and groans with us to bring our prayers even to align with the will of God. What a blessing. Listen to this. After all, who among us knows the perfect will of God in every circumstance? Husbands, be quiet. Who among us knows to pray what to pray for when we hear about things? We don't know exactly. We could say, pray for so-and-so. But we don't know the exact. But can, you know who does? The Holy Spirit. Who knows the mind of God better than God? The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God because he is God. Amen? Therefore, he's able to decipher our prayers from out of the flawed, selfless language that we use and conform them to the will and purpose of God. Praise, Praise the God. Lord. Now, as we sum up this morning's message, and I guess, uh, Sal, I'll start inviting you guys up. As we sum up this morning's message, let us not only rejoice in the fact that we're saved, but also rejoice in the fact that we have not been left as orphans. We are the adopted sons and daughters of God who are indwelt by the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit.
You hear me? So when we suffer or are persecuted for his name's sake, it's the Holy Spirit who girds us under and strengthens us, and the grace of God is upon us when we surrender to him. So no matter what we go through, how do those people do it in the Middle East? I said it before, I could not even imagine if someone was about to kill my family, how I could endure that, only by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear me? But he gives us that grace in those times of testing and trial. So when we are tempted and tested, it is the Holy Spirit who gives us strength to say no to ungodly passions and desires. When those temptations come our way and we surrender to the Spirit of God, He's the one who's going to give us the strength to say no. Amen? When we go to God in prayer, and though our prayers are floored by a fallen nature, it's the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts and minds to align our prayers with the will of God, who searches the deep things of God, who searches and illuminates the truth of Scripture so we can apply them to our lives and overcome. That's what's going to help change our lives. We get into the Word of God. We let the Holy Spirit do His work. And, and we know what our flaws, we know our bents for sin are, but He illuminates that truth so that we can overcome. So we can overcome and beat the temptations that come our way. And be ready. Don't let your guard down. Because when you think you got it going, the devil's going to throw something your way or to try to get you in an area that you're weak in. If you're here, oh, I'm sorry. The, um, but what, please listen carefully. The blessing of being filled with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit can only come when you make a true declaration of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit does not indwell anyone who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So all those things that we've talked about last week, the blessings of heaven and all those blessings and all the things this morning that we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit are not yours unless you have a definitive faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. So I have down here, if you're here and you have not asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you have not been filled with the Spirit because of regeneration, then I ask you this morning to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Why would you not desire eternal life in a place that you can't even imagine? And why would you not desire the ability to overcome things that are going to ruin your life? Because the consequences of sin will bring death. They will bring destruction in your life. Ask any drug addict, ask any prostitute, ask any gambler, and anything that they experienced was bad. But when you give your life to Christ, and not say life's going to be perfect, but you won't have the consequences of making poor choices in this world. Amen? Why wouldn't you want and desire that this morning? So if you're here today, after service, you see myself or one of the elders, if you want to give your heart and life to Christ and be set free, set free, have eternal life in Christ, and be set free from the consequences of making those sinful choices on this side of eternity. And if you're a Christian, especially for us to call ourselves Pentecostals, are we in fact surrendering and leaning on the Holy Spirit every day? If we're not, we're running this race really with our feet tied together. If you're not surrendering to the Holy Spirit every day and looking for his power in your life, it's like tying your feet together and trying to run. You're going to stumble and if not fall. Why? God has given us. He hasn't left us as often. He's given us the power of the third person of the Godhead to be able to make it through this life, to become more like Christ. So why tie your hands? Put your faith in the Lord. Be in the word and surrender to the Spirit. Amen?
family that is our faith that saves us. But now we walk by faith in the power of the Spirit so we can bear up all that comes our way. Test, trial, persecution, suffering, temptation. It's only through his power. Church, no matter what comes our way, test, trial, whatever, we can overcome because we don't do it in our own strength, but in the strength of the one who created and sustains all things, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, never-changing. And listen, sooner or later, we will no longer have to deal with these tests, trials, temptations, and the groaning will be over because we'll be in his kingdom and everything will be made new. Us, creation, everything. And then the Holy Spirit won't have to be alongside us groaning either because all things will be made new. Right now, the Holy Spirit, imagine the work this, that he has to do. He's restraining the wickedness of man. And when it says that the Holy Spirit, when the, when the tribulation comes, is going to step back and, and kind of step back on a restraining power, can you imagine what this world's going to be like if he's restraining the wickedness of man now and the evil one's being held back? Why would you want to go through that? Give your life to Christ. Amen? So we are blessed. As we look through these parts of Romans chapter 8, we're blessed in that the Holy Spirit confirms we're his children. The Holy Spirit illuminates to us that we are the children of God. He gives us the power to live a Christian life. He walks with us through every test, trial, and temptation. He groans alongside of us through prayer. We're a blessed people. So I want you to take that today, that as a spirit-filled believer, how much we have in Christ now and how much we have in the future and how much we are to lean on the Holy Spirit to do all that he's called us to do to make it through this life. Amen? We're a blessed people. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. In the covenant of redemption, Father, you sent your Son into the world to save us from sin. And Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that you took this ministry. You were obedient to your Father's will and went to the cross of Calvary. And when you said it is finished, it was finished. And whoever puts their faith in your redemptive work, Lord, is now saved born again, and Holy Spirit, you now indwell the believer. Lord, Father, we thank you that your Spirit indwells us and gives us the strength and the grace and the power to overcome, that no matter what test or trial comes our way, through your grace and through his power, we can overcome. No matter what temptation comes our way, we can lean on you and overcome. Lord, we thank you this morning that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have blessed us by being with us and in us, and Lord God, we ask that you would work, continue your work through us, that we would be your witnesses and share this great gospel of salvation with all that we come in contact with so that they would have the same hope, the same eternal hope that we have. Lord, I ask for a descending of your spirit on each person here that you would empower us to use our gifts and talents, empower us to be your witnesses, empower us to live this life as we sojourn through it. And when, as we do, and we see the blessings that come, we will give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 And now the worship team is.